Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. So good to see you here this morning. Turn in your Bibles for the last time to Daniel 12. I know you're like, oh. We can all give an aw. Can we aw? for you. No, I'm just seeing. I'm glad. I'm, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm torn right now because I've loved this study. I've loved this, this sermon series. I have learned so much. I've grown so much. But I will be happy not to study Old Testament prophecy for a while, okay? Let's be honest with you. Um, one of the things that, uh, you know, we, the older you get, the more you complain about uh, culture and the way things are, right? I mean, I think that just comes with the passage of time. But I think if we're going to be honest with ourselves, if I'm honest, there are some wonderful things that are, that are the benefit of living during this time. One of those great benefits is YouTube. Amen? I mean, if you don't know how to cook a turkey on Thanksgiving morning... Where do you go? YouTube. If you've got a problem in your car, you've got to fix you know, a battery, you've got to replace a battery, you've got to fix something, you know, what do you do? You YouTube it, right? You, how many times, I just want to show of hands, how many of you in the last three months have gone to YouTube to figure out how to do something? Any of you? Okay, so this is a part of our life. That, that there's, this, uh, there, there's things that we've got to figure out that we don't have the knowledge to do. And so, so what do we do? We YouTube things. And that's, it's a wonderful thing. But, but one of the things that I want us to think about this morning is the difference between knowledge and understanding. Knowledge is different than understanding. And understanding is a word that is used throughout this book. It's one of the main words in this book. And we haven't really spent time di- diving down deep into it. But I feel like now is the time to do it. There's a word, understanding, the Hebrew word bin, its sister word bina, is, is mentioned four, 22 times in, in this book, and then four other times, and so it's 26 combined for this bin and bina. And we see it all throughout the, the book, and really it's only in the Hebrew portions predominantly. But the main point is that God is the one who wants Daniel to have understanding. I want you to see this in, in this in this. In this prophetic book, we're going to have the verses on the screen. But Daniel chapter 1, verse 4, look at this is when Nebuchadnezzar's trying to, he's taking these young men captive into Babylon, and he finds, uh, this way says, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them literature and language of the Chaldeans. That learn, understanding, learning. Right, that is that word, that Hebrew, bean. Then I want you to see in Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, it's the other uh, passage that's, uh, that, that's on here. You go ahead and put that on the screen. I'll have to turn there. All right, turning your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel 1, verse 17. Look what it says in verse 17. It says, As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now notice in the first part in verse 4, Nebuchadnezzar's like, well, this is a really smart guy. These are smart young men. But in verse 17, it says there is a spiritual God-given understanding that Daniel and his friends had. Okay. Now I want you to skip over all the way to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel 10 is where we see this word again. It's mentioned in chapters 7, 8, and 9. But in 10, it's mentioned three times, and it said, or four times, I believe. And look at very first verse of chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, 
who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. There's that, those two words again, being and bina. There's Daniel had understanding. So right up front, he says there's going to be a vision, and I'm going to give you understanding of it. Now, I want you to skip all the way back down now to chapter 12. Look at verse 8, all right? After all of this vision, after, after the angels come to him and there's the spiritual warfare, and then you've got this really cryptic vision, and, and I'm not sure how many of you got the nerd notes and saw all that, but that, I mean, so he's hearing all these things, and, and then at the, at the end, after he heard all these angels talking to him, look at verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. Now, that's the same word. Now, it just said in verse 1 that Daniel did have understanding, but right here, he's still confused. So what's going on? There's an understanding that he's missing. Now, I want you to see in verse 10, we see this word again. Many shall purify themselves and make them, themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. There's that word again, understand. But those who are wise shall understand. Now, I, I want you to see this. God has given us... Daniel, these words to describe what, what he is wanting Daniel to do. Now, this word understanding, is, it's, it's a rich word, and, and it's throughout the Old Testament, but there's three words. If you want to kind of wrap these words around this word so that you can have a better understanding of what understanding means, it's the word perception, the word discernment, and the word meaning. This idea of understanding carries with the idea that I've got to, I perceive what's going on, I'm discerning what, what's happening, and I know the meaning behind all these things. Therefore, I can act and behave appropriately. Right? So that's the meaning of this word. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a brief example. When uh, growing up in northeastern Pennsylvania, uh, my mom's from West Palm Beach, Florida. And every other Christmas, we would drive We'd drive 20 hours down to West Palm Beach. We'd stay with my grandmother, and we'd go to the beach for a week. It was one of the best respites that we had over Christmas break. And so we would do that every other year. And one year, my dad, I think he's probably wanted to save some money, turned the heat down low, and we had one of these Arctic blasts, you know, cold fronts that came through. And when we got home... You know, what, what happens after a long car ride? You run to the bathrooms. And so run to the bathrooms. I'm not sure who went to the bathroom, but the pipes were frozen. Okay? Now, my dad has been cursed his entire life with water issues for every house he has owned. And th so this was the water issue. And, we, and you know, we had these two stories and kind of a semi-half basement. And there was this one pipe that went from the upstairs bathroom through, the, through this, like, little corner closet and it kind of butted up against the outside cinder block wall. And so that thing was just eight, you know, eight, nine feet of solid ice. And I remember through this period, during the, when getting home, we didn't have a bathroom, so we'd, you have to use our, our neighbor's restrooms. But like, I remember for four hours with a blow dryer, like blowing drying this, this pipe up. But it was a tense moment. And when my dad, when things, when water issues happened with my dad, he just was not in a good mood. And, uh, and those of you with kids know, like, you know, they're sensitive to your parents' kind of, you know, moves at times, you're kind of like, don't mess, don't, don't make mom or dad mad right now. And so my dad is feeling tense. The toilet, you know, our bathroom's all up here, and the toilet's off, off the floor, and he's trying to do some things there. And, and uh, you know, when you're gone for a week, you come home and you got lots of mail. And maybe you remember this, but 
over Christmas break, every year, you would always get that packet from Publishers Clearinghouse about you could, you could win a million dollars, right? That's when a million dollars is worth something, right? And, and so a million dollars, wow, a million dollars. And so my sister, Trisha, she's like 10 years old, and she's like, oh, we could win a million dollars. And so she opens up the whole thing and like totally buys into it. And so me, me, and my two, me and my older brother, we're like totally trying to help dad. Dad's tense. Dad's, you know, frustrated. He's driven 20 hours, and now he's got a frozen pipe and a stuff and like it's just not fun and so my sister from the bathroom from from the kitchen is like dad dad do you want the red corvette or the blue corvette (laughs) now when you ask my dad a question and he didn't respond you learned don't ask again because he's focused on something right or he's watching a sports game. But just know this, like, if, if he didn't answer the first time, he's probably not going to answer a second time. But that didn't stop my sister. No. Dad, blue Corvette or red Corvette? Dad, what do you want, blue Corvette or red? My dad's just like, uh, he's over this thing. And so Chris, my older brother, the most oldest, wisest of us children, is like, and he's just like about to lose it on my sister because she's not reading the room. She does not have understanding. Okay, she didn't have the perception. She didn't have the discernment. She didn't understand the meaning of what, like Chris understood dad's tense. This is not the time to ask him, what kind of Corvette do you want that you're never going to win, right? Like that's, Chris understood that. And that's, in, in, in a nutshell, what God wants us to have is that when we are walking into the, the environments that we walk into, the episodes of life that walk, we are walking into in Babylon, that we have the discernment, the perception, and the meaning to know this is how I'm going to respond. This is how I know how to be faithful to my God. This is how I know how to love my enemy. This is how I know how to stand for truth. This is how I know what to say and what not to say and know when to say it. That is understanding. And that is what God wants us to have. And if if I give you a main idea this morning, it's this, that, that God alone is the one who gives us understanding to thrive in Babylon. God alone is the one who gives us the understanding, the perception, the discernment, the meaning to know how to thrive in Babylon. As we have been going through this series, week by week, month by month, month, the constant themes have been, we've been speaking throughout this series. And and we're going to be looking at the understanding. Now, as we have read this and studied this and as, as Pastor Brad read it this morning, there are still things in this passage that are difficult to understand. There are things in this, in this context, again, I'm, I'm not going to read everything for you again, but you know, last week we talk, talked about there's this idea of a time of trouble in verse 1, and that God's going to deliver those people, there's going to be a resurrection, um, and, and, and then, but then he says, look at verse 4, I want you to see this in verse 4, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So he mentions knowledge there. Knowledge shall increase, but there's another thing. We, as we looked in verse 10, look at verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. You see, 
Going through Daniel has been a great reminder that when, when events are transpiring in our world today, we need to have a, we, you might have a different take than other people around you. If you are a follower of Jesus and you believe in God's word and you're going to live and you want to, and you want to be faithful to what he's called you to be in this, in this, in this world today, you will find yourselves understanding, perceiving, and, under, and, and, and really interpreting the events around you from everyone else might be saying, yay, and you're like, no, this is not good. It's this understanding, and only God can give us this understanding. And that's what Daniel has proven over and over again through countless kings, through three different kingdoms, through the decades of his life, Daniel has shown that God has given him this understanding to not just survive in Babylon, but to thrive in Babylon. And that has been our challenge. That has been the challenge the entire time that we've been studying this. Now, as we read through this text, there are still some things here that are difficult to understand. Okay? Now, again, Daniel's at, you know, there's, first of all, Daniel has this vision, then there's angels, there's the angel on this side of the, the, the stream, and this side of the stream, and then there's a guy with linen above, and there's these three different angelic beings there, and some people think that that person in the linen who speaks is, is Jesus, a pre-incarnate of Jesus, we're not sure about that. But then he gets into this idea of, you know, timing again. And again, one of the things about Daniel that I think so many Christians get stuck up on is that we get, we get, really focused in on when these things are happening. Let's interpret the timing of these things. For example, you see here, look at verse 11, 12, and 13. And from the, and from the time that the regular burnt offering is, offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Now, do you guys know what that is? All right, this is the interpretation part, like what does this mean? And, and this is the part of the study that you really, you got to get into. And, and let me just say this. Um, th there are three major interpretations of Daniel chapter 12. What is Daniel speaking about? These predictions, these prophecies. And there's three different main interpretations, and I will just title them past, present, and future. Okay, past, present, and future. Most people, when it talks, when, when uh, this, the person speaking in verse 7 about there will be the time of when the, the power stops of persecuting the, Jew, the God's people, a time, times and a half a time, three and a half years, uh, which according to them was 1,260 days, and then you have 1,290 days and 1,335, like what is going on here? Some people believe and interpret the, this abomination that makes desolate that's mentioned here in verse 11, all these days, is referring to the past. And by past, I mean in, in, when Jerusalem was, was conquered and, and raised by the Romans in AD 70, that, that when Jesus was talking about the abomination that makes desolate in Matthew 24, he is speaking of that event in AD 70. The reason why some people theorize that that is what it is meant is because when the Christians during that time lived in Jerusalem, saw Romans come, the Romans coming, they looked at the book of Daniel, they read the, the, the words of Jesus in Matthew, and they said, we're out of here. And it's historical proof that the Christians left the city because they believed that was the fulfillment of this. There are some people that believe that. There are some people that believe and they see this 1,290 days and 1,335 days and they say, well, listen, days in the book of Daniel has always been interpreted as a year. Go back to Daniel 9. We interpret days like 
years. And so why would we interpret these days as literal 24-hour days and not years? And so some people interpret this as, as the time, what makes what the abomination that makes desolate, the present age, is the age in which uh, it's the, the Pope you know, kind of taking over the Roman Catholic Church and kind of corrupting the church. And it wasn't until, you know, we, the Reformation happened, threw off the, the powers that be. And, and so that, this time period that's mentioned here is referring to that, okay? Again, that's a viewpoint that's popular around reform circles. And then there's a theory that says, well, all of these things, the time, times, and a half a time, and this abomination that makes desolate, and these 1,290 days and 1,335 days is referring to a future uh, event of a future Antichrist, a seven-year tribulation period. And that's what this is referring to. So again, past, present, future. As I have said many weeks standing up here behind the pulpit, really behind the Word of God, it has been my purpose to make sure that where good Christians disagree and understanding that we may not know fully that, again, these are theories that I don't want to get up here and pound the pulpit and say, thus says the Lord, this is the, this is the interpretation, this is the only interpretation. When it comes to the when of these things, I want to hold them open-handed and say, we, this is what I think, but I'm not really sure. Okay? And what I believe, when Daniel is saying, hey, in verse 8, I don't understand, I think there's a part of that, what he's saying is, I don't understand how all of these things are going to be fulfilled. But at the same time, God assures us, and Daniel knew there was an understanding that he did have of things that he, you know, that were even greater than the knowledge of when are all these things happening. Now, I'm not saying that the when isn't important, but there are things that are more important. There are things, there's understandings that as we as we conclude this book, there's understandings that I want us to revisit that we have seen throughout this book that I want us to revisit that even we find here in chapter 12 that I think are important for us as we walk out of the doors here this morning, as we finish our 16-week study in the book of Daniel, that we can leave here and say, here's what I know and here's what I understand about how to thrive in Babylon. And the first one is this, that we can understand that God is above all rulers and kingdoms. That God Understand that God is above all rulers and kingdoms. Over and over again, we see God on display showing Daniel and showing even the kings of this world, he's in charge, right? In Daniel chapter 2, remember this, this picture over here? We have the rock cut out not by any human hand coming and smashing the feet of this statue and you know, obliterating it. And then that stone becomes a mountain and that mountain represents the kingdom of God. We see in Daniel chapter 4, we see Nebuchadnezzar, the great mighty king Nebuchadnezzar being completely humbled by God and he is brought to the lowest low of human beings. We see also in Daniel chapter 7, we see that these, these four beasts that, that are present all come to an end. We see the prince in Daniel chapter 9. We see the God who makes decrees in Daniel chapter 11. And we see a God who outlasts all kingdoms and rulers and eventually brings judgment upon them. In fact, one of the greatest examples of authority that is in this passage is twice it mentions Daniel sealing up the scroll and putting it away. Now, why, why is that such an important phrase that's mentioned twice there? Well, in ancient times, when a book or a scroll was written, or when a king gave a dictation of something, what would happen is 
there would be one copy that would be sealed and locked away into the king's records to make sure that no one could mess with the original. And then there would be one or many copies that would be given to be scattered throughout the kingdom to be read as a result of, hey, this is what the king has said. So this is a, even the mention of scrolls and seals is a mention of authority. That's why in the book of Revelation, right, when, when John sees these scrolls and says, who is, who is worthy to, to unseal the scrolls? Who is worthy? The Lamb of God is worthy. It's one of the greatest pronouncements of the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ ever in the New Testament. When it says Jesus is able to unseal the scrolls, these scrolls that Daniel's talking about are unsealed by Jesus. That's powerful. And that's a display that he is over all of these kings. So what does that mean for us? What's the understanding we need to have when that happens? Here's what that means. Don't get too high and don't get too low based on human events, right? We, we know this. Don't get too high when your guy wins an election. Don't get too low when your guy doesn't win the election. Don't get too high. Don't get too... They, the, the, listen, we know who's on the throne. That's one of the great visions. Remember Daniel chapter 9, when Daniel's crying out, and he's trying to figure out the human events of things. When are we going to go back to, to Jerusalem? And what is the vision that God gives him? He gives him a vision of the ancient of days sitting on high. And that's what you and I need to, when we walk into that boardroom, who our boss is, who that, who that official is, who our teacher is. Listen, I'm not saying that we, we treat every earthly authority you know, inappropriately. That would be wrong. But every single human authority that you have over your life has limited authority. And you need to live like it. We don't live to try to impress people. We don't live try to, to make sure that we blend in, make sure we don't stand out. We don't live to make sure we don't make waves or ripples. But no, you live to make sure that you represent your king. And there will be times when that human authority over you will be at conflict with the, with the ultimate godly authority that is over your life. And you need to make sure that you know who you're going to bend your knee to. It's so important. You know, I, I think about, uh, you know, when, when the Olympics are around, we love, I love the Olympics. My wife loves the Olympics. We, we watch it when it's on. And there's, there's always a difference when you're watching something between the heats and the finals, right? You know what I'm talking about? When, when there's a heat on, it's, it's like, you know, you might have 50 participants and they're trying to make it to the medal round, like that final race or that final run, whatever it is. And what they're trying to do, if people who finish the top two always kind of progress, and there's lots of these heats. But when someone wins a heat, they're not like, yeah, they don't fall on the ground and like on their knees, like I did it, I did it, right? Like you don't see that. Why? Because it's not the medal. It's not like you're the best. You just won your heat. But when the medal round comes and you win that race, what does that mean? You're the best. There's no one greater than you. Listen, there are a lot of heats going on in our world today. Until Jesus returns, there's going to be lots of feats where someone seems to be ahead. But when Jesus comes back, he will establish his kingdom and all the kingdoms will melt away. We need to live like it. That's number one. Number two, understand that your faithfulness to God will be tested. Understand that your faithfulness to God will be tested. 
Again, we see this in verse 1 of chapter 12, where, where Daniel's told that there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. There's going to be testing. We see this in Daniel chapter 7. 12 or 7. And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters in the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand towards heaven, swore by him who lives forever that would be a time, times, and a half a time that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. There's going to be these times of testing. This three and a half years, whether that is literal or whether it's, that's figurative, the point is this, testing will come. And when testing comes in our lives, will we be found faithful? You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Medigo, they had their time of testing to bow to that image. Daniel had his time of testing of whether or not he was going to stop praying to God. And those are just those events, and they are given to us so that when we find ourselves in the same exact situation, we know how to behave. We have the understanding to know, I know exactly what this is. This is my time. This is my time. See, we all, we will all have a time in our lives where we will be tested. And the younger you are in this room, the more testing you will, you, you will have. And that's one of the reasons we're doing this series in Deuteronomy starting in January. This series on how to, you know, how do we pass on our faith? How do we have a legacy of faith to the next generation? So whether or not you have kids or your aunts and uncles, or whether you're just going to work, you love working with young people, how do we share faith to the next generation? How do we pass it down? And so one of the things about Jesus that I think is so amazing is that when, when he lived and walked on this earth, when it came to, hey, I want you to come follow me, what did he say? When he, when, when, when he wanted people to follow him, hey, I want you to follow me, I want you to be faithful to me, what did he say? Hey, hey, John and Peter, I want you to come follow me because we're going to have an adventure together. Is that what he said? He said, hey, you know, James, I want you to come follow me because, you know, it will be your best life now if you come follow me in this moment. Is that what Jesus said? He, he, he never appealed to what would benefit them. He, in fact, he actually said the opposite to people. Hey, you've got to count the cost if you want to be my disciple. You've got to pick up your cross if you want to follow me. Go and sell all that you have. Jesus always made sure that when he asked someone to follow him, they understood what they were getting into. See, for those of us in this room that who, are, who claim to be followers of Christ, I think what we have done is we have appealed, maybe you have, you know, when Jesus was presented to you, there was an appeal that said, hey, follow Jesus because don't you want to go to heaven when you die? You don't want to go to hell. Hell's a nasty place. No, I want to go to heaven, right? Or, hey, if you follow Jesus, you will have purpose to your life. You will have meaning to your life. He, Jesus makes everything better. He's a comfort in our hard times. That's why you should follow Jesus. Now, now, when, yeah, amen, all right? But here's the thing. Uh, is all that true? Absolutely. But we do not follow Jesus because of those things. You and I should follow Jesus because he is worthy. Because no one else will love you like Jesus. And as we sang in that last song before I came up here, no one 
has paid the price for your sins like Jesus. No one has bled for you like Jesus. And the reason why we follow Jesus is because he's worthy. And, and, and the reason why I share that is because if we simply follow Jesus because of how it might benefit us, when that testing comes, our faithfulness will fail. But when we follow Jesus because he is worthy to be followed, because he, no one will love me like him, and I fully understand his love and his sacrifice for me, then when the testing comes, I'm worthy to lose it all because he's worthy of it. So that's the understanding. We need to have that understanding that our faithfulness will be tested. Will you be ready? Number three, understand that the real battle is waged in the spiritual realm. Understand that the real battle is waged in the spiritual realm. We see in this passage, again, two weeks ago, Dan did an amazing job talking about the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in. And we saw this conflict between the messengers, the angels that were trying to get to Daniel to give him a message, and the prince of Persia, these, these spiritual realm authorities that were working to get, keep Daniel from getting the message from God. We see angels or, or some spirit being, whether it was Michael the archangel or Jesus showing up to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. Right? We see in Daniel in the lion's den, we know that the law, it says that the angel came and shut the mouth of the lions. We see what Daniel has shown for us pull back this curtain to see that there is a spiritual reality going on. That yes, there are things happening in our day that we may not like, but behind every, every initiative, behind everything that's going on in Hollywood, the movies that are being made, but behind every agenda that's being taught in our schools, behind every law that is being passed, behind every initiative that's happening, government, I don't know what it is, nonprofit, corporate entity, you have to understand this. There are spiritual powers pulling the strings of those people. And what we've got to have the understanding of is that don't waste your energy getting upset about what people are doing. Spend your energy on your knees fighting for the King of kings and Lord of lords. That is what our call is to do. That is why we have a prayer room over here every Sunday morning to go in there at 9.15. And let, let me tell you, if you have not been there yet and you want to try it out, go. Check it out. 9.15 every Sunday morning, we're asking people to go and pray. Because we know this, that if we want to see a movement of God happen in, in our lives, a movement of God happen in our land, it's going to be a spiritual movement. That the plans and the schemes of human beings will not accomplish what God alone can accomplish. And that's what we've got to remember. This is a spiritual battle we're in. And we've got to live. We have to have the understanding, right? Just like I said, don't get too high or too low. Understand how to fight. Understand what to get upset about. And understand what, what we need to be praying for so that those human event things, those agendas, those initiatives start changing. Okay? Number, number four, Understand that beastly kingdoms will rise and fall. We need to understand that beastly kingdoms will rise and fall. One of the things that we see in all these prophecies is that God's word has been proven true. That just like Babylon, just like Babylon rose and fell, so did the Persian Empire, so did the Greek Empire, so did the Roman Empire. And you know what? So will the American Empire. Everything rises and falls. And as the people of God, if we identify primarily as the people of God, we've got to make sure 
that our hearts, our allegiance, is making sure that we are faithful to God and making sure that we don't tie our, our joy, our hope, our, our life, our faith to the geopolitical realm. What happens in the geopolitical realm is shifting sand. It's what happens in the kingdom of God is in concrete. And so make sure that, that you're tying your identity to those things. You know, there's been a lot of talk about nationalism recently. And one of the things that, um, as I was reading and studying, I've been doing some study on this, but as Americans, this is hard. Because if you think about it, you know, I, I, I really believe, I think that, hey, I think America's one of the greatest nations in the history of the world, if not the greatest. And there, I want you to understand, there's a difference between patriotism and nationalism. Okay, now, as these words have developed, they used to be the same, used to mean the same thing. Patriotism is a word that's a little bit older than nationalism. But about 150 years ago, when you would say patriotism or nationalism, you meant the same thing. But nationalism doesn't mean what it used to mean. Patriotism simply means you have a love and a devotion to, for one's country. It's this idea, hey, I'm, a, I'm proud to be an American. You know, I'm not sure how many of you have ever traveled outside the United States. And I haven't traveled you know, extensively. I've been, I've been to a few places you know, in the Caribbean. I've been to lots of places in Europe. Um, but, but I know this. Every single time I'm away from the United States, there comes a point where I'm like, I can't wait to get back. Because I, I love America. I love our nation. And, so, and when the Olympics come on, I'm going to cheer for the Americans. Right? But nationalism is this idea that, that this is the, the definition is to exalt one nation above all others, placing primary emphasis on promotion of its culture and interests as opposed to other nations. This is the idea of nationalism is the sense that, hey, I just want my nation to to overcome every other nation. In fact, our culture is better than every other nation. Listen, there are some things that I think as, you know, as, an, as an American, I'm ashamed of, of what we're doing right now. When we, when we fly the rainbow flag in our embassies across the world, I'm ashamed of that. But here's the thing. I, I, I don't, I, we need to primarily look at these things that are happening in our world today not through the lens of our nationalistic trends, because what happens is so many American Christians, we have tied our hope and our joy to what is happening in America. And that is not the way of Christ. Our faithfulness, our allegiance is to Jesus Christ alone. Therefore, when our nation goes left or right, we stay focused on Jesus. Stop fighting the left and right battles. Stop putting your hope in the left and right winds and stay focused on the kingdom of God because every nation rises and falls. And when the purpose of America runs its course, God will see fit to see another nation rise. We don't understand it all. I don't understand, I don't understand it all. And, and, here's, here, and here's the other thing that I know. Many of us, we, want, we ask God to save our nation. And, and here's what I honestly believe. I don't believe... God is interested in saving America. I believe that God is interested in saving people, all people. And so God doesn't save nations, he saves people. And I think our emphasis and our hope needs to be praying that the people, if you want your nation to change, we need to see people accept Christ. That's how a nation changes. It's not from the top down, it's from the bottom up.
And if we want to see God work in our nation again, it requires us to pray and to share our faith like we've never done before. That's number four. Number five, understand that your inheritance will be realized after the resurrection. Understand that your inheritance will be realized after the resurrection. You know, in, in verses one and two, we have this promise that Daniel has about this deliverance and this resurrection, right, of the people of God. But look at the last verse here, verse 13. So Daniel is, this is the end. This is the last revelation. This is the last vision he has, he has received. He is an old man at this point. And this final instruction to him is this, but go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. See, Daniel has been told, listen, you will receive your allotted place. What does that mean? Why, why was that so significant to Daniel? Why would that be meaningful to him? Why was that the last thing that God told him? And the reason why that is so meaningful is because Daniel was a young man who was stripped away, not, stripped away by force from Jerusalem, was put into a foreign culture, you know, put into a you know, context, taught and learned a completely different language, saying, you've got to become Babylonian. And what he was able to do is to navigate the Babylonian waters to maintain his faith in God as they try to make him into a Babylonian. And what, what, what I believe Daniel always wanted to see was to see Jerusalem restored. We saw his heart and his passion in that prayer in Daniel chapter 9. But Daniel was never going to see Jerusalem again. He was never going to see those walls built. He was never going to see the temple reestablished and the sacrifices given again. He was never going to see the, his heart go back to, to Jerusalem and to see the worship of Yahweh reestablished. That was something that was important to him. And it was taken from him. And what God is reassuring him is this, Daniel, whatever you lost, I will return to you. This word for allotted place is a word that, that was used a lot. It's used a lot in the Old Testament, referring to the majority of times it's used is referred to when someone's given um, a lot of land. So like in the Old Testament, when they're dividing up the land to all the tribes and the families and the clans and all those things, you know, they would, this is the word it was used to say, this is your allotted place to live for your family for generations. And so when Daniel said, well, you shall rest, okay, meaning you're going to die, but when you resurrect, when you stand again, you will receive the inheritance that, that, that I'm going to give to you. This is the promise we have. The promise of the people of God is this. And the understanding we need to have is this. We're never going to get it all this side of eternity. Don't live for it all this side of eternity. If you live your life saying, I've got to experience it all, but everything is about me experiencing it all now, right? Then we're not really living for a different king in a different kingdom. We're living for ourselves. And, and we know this, when we follow God, and when we give our lives to Christ, as we mentioned earlier, it will cost you something. It costs all of us something. It might cost you a relationship. It might cost you, you, know, you know, all kinds of things. I don't know what it's going to cost you, but it will cost you something to follow Jesus. But anything, here's the, here's the promise that we have. Whatever you give up for Christ, there is an inheritance that God will restore something to you that is even greater. You know, I, I think about my, yeah, I think I've shared this before. My, I just said goodbye this week to my brother. My brother's, you know, flying over, I think, tomorrow to go back to Germany. 
And, uh, you know, 14 years ago, he, or about 10 years ago, he flew, flew over for the first time, took his young family over there. And he's, he was back for about a year uh, on his furlough and, and, and raising money and finding a new ministry for his family. And we're, I say goodbye to him. And I'm, I hope to see, I have some plans to see him hopefully in the future. But, you know, every time our family gets together, this, you know, the Rudolph side, when we get together now, he's not there. He's in Germany. And, and there's, there's, there's lots of events that have transpired that, that he hasn't been around for. He has sacrificed being close to family to, to, to serve God in a place that needs the gospel. And one of the things that sustains Richard and sustains our family is knowing this. Whatever we miss out on, this side of the resurrection, on the other side of the resurrection is so much greater. So much greater. So when we are walking in Babylon, don't ever try to hold on to the things that God's saying, you gotta lay that down for me. The reward the reward that Daniel received ultimately was, was on the other side of resurrection. And the same promise is for those of us who believe in Christ today. That understand this, when we accept Christ, it is not about you know, your best life now. It is about giving your life to Christ. And when we do that, he gives to us eternity in, in heaven with him. But knowing that that's the reward. The reward is his presence. The reward is him. And that is ultimately what we want to receive. So a few questions and then we're done. How do we walk? What's, what's the understanding I want? What's the perception, the discernment, the meaning that we need to have? Number one, what do you understand more today about the Babylon we're all living in? What do you understand about today, the Babylon we're living in? Do you have an understanding more of what's going on, the, the cultural trends, the, the, reality, the realities of this world? Are you able to have the discernment, the perception, the meaning that you know this is Babylon? This is Babylon. And I know how this testing is going to come. I know how to manage. I know how to, I know how to thrive in my faith. I know what to say. I know how to say it. But you got to understand the Babylon around you. Do you understand it? Number two, what do you understand more today about how to be faithful to God in the present? Knowing that you will be tested. Do you know more today? 16 weeks ago, do you know more today about how to be faithful to God when that testing time comes? Do you know that? Are you ready? And then number three, what do you understand more about what it will take to thrive in the future? What do you understand more about what it will take to thrive in the future? From the very first Sunday that we talked about this series, Thriving in Babylon, we said there's two mistakes that we can make as followers of Jesus. Number one is that we go so far to this side that we just try to survive in Babylon and we isolate ourselves from the world and from people who don't think or act like us. And so what we end up doing is creating our own little Amish huddles of people who think Babylon's so horrible and bad, but we do nothing to love our neighbors, and we do nothing to share the good news of Jesus. That's a very real possibility of what Christians are choosing today. The other side are Christians who decide, I'm about blending into Babylon. I like Babylon, and I want to be like Babylon myself. And so they, they adopt Babylon's you know, values and ethics and lifestyle. And what God has called us to do is put, plant a stake in the middle of those two realms and saying, no, I will be faithful to my God and I will not become like Babylon, 
but instead I will thrive in my faith in the midst of opposition, in the midst of hardship. You know, I can't, you know, three months ago when we shared our vision at church, we talked about prayer and evangelism. Those two responsibilities and behaviors that we as the people of God have always been called to do and that we, are, we have to re, re, reconnect and rethink about how we're going to live those out. My hope and prayer, I, I can't think of two greater ways of how we're going to thrive in Babylon than how we pray, praying like we've never prayed before and sharing our faith like we've never pr- shared our faith before. Thriving in Babylon is possible. Are you ready for it?